You're listening to Let's Talk AI. So welcome to Let's Talk AI. Today's guest is Will Zhao. Will is from the University of Waterloo, Stratford School of Interaction, Design, and Business. So welcomes, welcome, Will. Thank you so much, Harold. Uh, hello, everyone. So we're going to jump right in, and I'm going to ask you a bit of back, background questions so we can get a framework of uh, how did you end up you know, getting to Waterloo? Maybe if you could tell us a little bit of the history there and background story of, you know, master's, PhD, you know, original undergrad, you know, how did this all happen? Absolutely. So I'm a interdisciplinary uh, researcher. Uh, that's actually a very broad term. Uh, uh, you could have 1,000 different types of interdisciplinary researchers. So the interdisciplinarity for me would be business um, and social science and humanities. I actually... Uh, had a undergrad in humanities and went on to do my master's and PhD in business in management. And uh, uh, during this time, I, I got very much interested in studying technology and innovation management. And I went on uh, to um, actually become a faculty member at the business school where I focused most of my research time studying and understanding new technologies such as AI. Um, in fact, uh, in between times, I also had a, um, a diploma from Cambridge University uh, on AI and ethics. So really interdisciplinary. A lot of people talk about interdisciplinary, uh, but I guess I would be considered one of the true interdisciplinary researchers uh, because I do look at different disciplines. So what got me into uh, this school is also because of... Um, it's true interdisciplinary nature. So at Stratford School of Interaction Design and Business, we have three keywords, creativity, technology, and business. Uh, so essentially, we have professors coming from a variety of backgrounds, HCI, uh, business design, uh, user experience. And you, um, so you see a lot of us are also very interdisciplinary. So it's, uh, it's no surprise that I end up being at this school. And uh, yeah, that's how I got here. It's, uh, it's a long way, but uh, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a natural progression as well. Okay. You know, you touched on a, a really relevant topic these, these days with AI and ethics. Tell us a bit about that, that uh, diploma or degree you did at Cambridge. Yes, yes. So this is actually a really hot topic now. I think a lot of people are now fascinated about uh, AI uh, in terms of what it can do, and uh, but there's a uh, there's a smaller group of people who are interested in looking at what AI shouldn't do or what we shouldn't be using AI uh, to do. So uh, when I did my research at Cambridge, what I looked at is actually twofold. A when we talk about AI ethics, what do we truly mean? So I was interested in inventorizing the existing knowledge of AI ethics. I try to understand what people are talking about when we talk about AI ethics. The second thing I was interested in looking at is, is ethical AI really possible? Because uh, uh, absolutely, we hear about ethical AI day in, day out. Uh, it seems to be um, something that can be done fairly easily. But after my research, I realized that you know, uh, the AI ethics uh, it's something that we need to keep on talking 
and keep on really looking at paying a lot of attention to and giving a lot of resources for. But also ethical AI may be harder to achieve than we actually, uh, than we, than we would like to, to believe. Interesting. So, so you talked about using AI in your day to day. What does that look like for you? Yes. So, I mean, I'm a researcher, so using AI in my day-to-day would, uh, would be actually two things. A, AI as my research subject. So I look at AI from organizational perspectives, you know, how organizations use AI. Uh, as an interdisciplinary researcher, as I mentioned, I also look at AI from educational perspectives. So basically, as a research subject, AI is uh, interesting to me because it has the educational potential that helps students to better study, helps them uh, to deal with a certain social uh, the, the, certain social issues uh, related to studying. But the third uh, area where I use uh, I deal with AI as my research subject is engineering. So I look at uh, better ways or new ways uh, to achieve uh, uh, high uh, better algorithm design. So that's one part, only one part of how I deal with AI. So as my research subject. But the second part in my day-to-day, uh, AI is a tool, uh, just like anyone else. Now we are exploring, I am also exploring what AI can do, can help me. Uh, I guess uh, you know, the, the hot topic at the moment is generative AI. Uh, everyone is familiar, I think, by now. Uh, uh, everyone is familiar with at least one example of that, which is ChatGPT. That's the text-based generative AI. A lot of my colleagues in design, now they're amazed at the visual example of generative AI. So the apps that can generate really stunning visuals just based on a few uh, verbal prompts. So yeah, so the second part of dealing with AI my day-to-day would be using this and exploring how these tools can really help me better do my job as a researcher, as a consultant for businesses and organizations, and also, most importantly, as a teacher to better serve my students. So can you give us any uh, you know, under-the-hood examples of uh, you know, using ChatGPT with the, with the more visual side? Uh, ChatGPT with, with visual? Okay, so ChatGPT would be more, I would say, would be more on the verbal side. So it's basically a text-based generative AI technology. Uh, but uh, I do uh, read um, about how you know you could use ChatGPT to come up with film or movie scripts, right? And of course, this we're looking at uh, not only uh, you give it, you give ChatGPT some prompts, and then uh, ChatGPT generates the entire uh, scripts. I think professionally, you're uh, we're looking at more and more examples where people are uh, using AI as their co-pilot, so the initiate this prompt and then ChatGPT generates some good or potentially good um, script material and then the professionals revise it and, and you know and as a new prompt then ChatGPT generates uh, another response so this is kind of a fine-tuned process so I do read about how ChatGPT has been used as um, a, a, a tool for movie directors or you know script writers uh, to generate to generate good scripts within a short period of time, and then that kind of script would be fed into visual-based um, generative AI technology and, and helps uh, those uh, uh, practitioners to generate uh, videos. 
So again, right. one example is two types of generative AI technologies. So that's, um, in these visual examples, something like a DALI, I guess it's called, and the new one, Standard Diffusion? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So it's it's amazing how this kind of technology have, have evolved. I think there's, uh, at this time, there is a tremendous amount of business attention paid to this kind of technology. You would think about all these companies have been working on it uh, in the background uh, last year or, the, or even the decade before, but because you know late last year, ChatGPT was launched and it was uh, immediately a, 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 a hit. So uh, you could imagine that a lot of other companies that they could no longer wait anymore. Right? They wanted to roll out their products. So now over the last, now we're only in April, but over the last four months, we've seen just hundreds of uh, of new uh, applications being rolled out by companies. And in fact, if you look at the, the startup scene, uh, I would say even right now, this hour, there would be at least in Canada, at least dozens or scores of new AI companies, AI startups being registered, uh, trying to tap into generative AI technologies. So there's definitely a, a craze, you could say. I'm not sure whether it's going to be a, a fad that fades away very quickly, but it's definitely there is some craze there. You never know. Maybe the new host for Let's Talk AI will be uh, ChatGPT. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? Yeah. So uh, back to the title of your school, um, Interaction Design and Business. How are these generative AI affecting business? Like really, you know, yes. rubber hits the road. A big time. I would, we actually had uh, quite a few discussions about this, me and uh, my colleagues at the school, and also the, the organizations that I deal with, that I consult for over the last few months. Um, so generative AI basically going to challenge any line of business where um, the production or the output of text and visuals and also other multimodal uh, combinations uh, would, 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 would be considered the core of that business. Think about marketing. Uh, think about advertising, advertisement agency. Now, um, you do not have to have a fleet of uh, very expensive computers and specialized equipment. Uh, you do not have to have a, uh, a gigantic team of specialists, uh, two or three people as a startup. Uh, equipped with the right knowledge and the right types of generative AI technologies, and many of uh, which are offered online at a very, very uh, competitive price, could uh, arguably uh, get a very big, I would say, a sizable a share of the advertising market. So you could say, in a way, it is a, a tool that levels uh, the playing ground for content-based uh, lines of business. But uh, of course, um, this is just at the very beginning where I'm actually very curious to see how things will evolve in terms of, you know, competition. Uh, again, you know, it seems that uh, it's, level, it's leveling the playing ground. A lot of people can get in. You do not need to be that specialized or that resourceful to get in. But you also uh, hear the, the phrase, force rush in. So I'm actually very curious to see how this would play out in the next bit, even in the next six months. You know, there's a, a lot of talk around uh, the fake, fake news and trustworthiness. If you could just give us your thoughts or insights onto that, what you're seeing. Oh, yes. So this is a huge topic, a very important one, Harold. Um, 
I would say with generative AI, um, fake news or misinformation and disinformation would become even more salient. I think we would uh, see more and more very convincing fake news in the future. Now, take uh, ChatGPT as an example. Um, for folks who are listening, if you if you are not coming from a technical background, you probably you're thinking ChatGPT generated answers are very human-like, uh, very uh, very easy to to believe. That is because it was trained on uh, some of the best quality data, and the way it gives out answer is very in a very um, authoritative authoritative manner. Uh, so. If we do not pay a lot of attention to the actual content and the underlying logic uh, of the content that we are given, uh, but just look at how the text is structured and the flow of the text, then um, generative AI now can do a fantastic job. It's almost um, indist- uh, it's almost very hard to distinguish what is generated by AI, what is not. So. For people who are not that um, attentive to the underlying logic of any piece of information, or not that uh, well-trained to understand AI structure or grammatical structure uh, of common uh, generative AI, it would be very hard for them to tell whether a piece of information is from a human being, which, by the way, can also be fake news, right, or from AI generated at a much lower cost and a much bigger uh, volume. So it would be a, a serious challenge to the society, I would say. I, uh, it's, it's not just doubling the risks. I think it's 100%. So it's 100-fold more risks. It's a very, very hot topic to tackle at this moment. So how do we cope? How do I, we, um... I, I honestly don't know. I would only, I would only hope that we would have not only our hopes on new technologies that counter, uh, so from technical aspect that counter uh, this um, potential uh, plague of uh, generative AI-powered uh, uh, misinformation. But also the society, we would have a, uh, a bigger awareness of uh, of the uh, of the consequences, and also the, I would hope that universities and organizations uh, would want to spend more time and energy and resources on ruling up some educational programs that bring up uh, the general public's awareness of what uh, what the consequences would be, and also maybe some training programs on helping the students and, and, and other members of general general public to understand what kind of text is generated is more likely to be generated by AI. Now, speaking of that, um, so now at the university setting, I think Howard, uh, you and I were very familiar with this uh, new issue. A lot of our students are using generative AI to produce their, I mean, they're tempted, of course. Uh, we cannot really just say that, well, um, it, there's something fundamentally wrong with it, but you know, people are naturally curious and they're tempted to generate uh, reports written again, written uh, output, and also even visual output. Um, so uh, this is a new issue that we are faced with. Now, I guess one thing that I have been doing and got a lot of uh, interest from my students is to tell them, actually, 
even if you can use new software, you can use, use new web, websites or new plugins that are specifically set up to detect AI. But there are some underlying logics or underlying features of a text that is generated by AI with a human a pair of human eyes that I have. I can, I can actually a lot of times just tell after reading something uh, for a couple of seconds whether it is more likely to be written by human beings or by AI. So I've been sharing some of these techniques with, with my students, and they were amazed. Well, that is because I have a interdisciplinary background. I also study AI from a technical background. So there are certain things that I think can be taught, can be trained. So some of these programs might be interesting for students. Of course, I, I would expect two kinds of students would be interested. Type number one uh, would be the student who are interested in learning stuff from high-quality texts, right? So they want to know whether something is generated by AI and before they make a decision whether they want to invest in it. I'm not saying, I'm not saying at all that AI-generated texts are not good, right? But the second type would be students who want to know uh, how uh, a text could be more likely generated or regarded as AI generated so they will learn the tricks and do some changes to the assignment that they hand in so that it will not be so again we are now I think in this in this game of uh, you know cat and mouse right let's just just see which technology or which kind of skill sets gets uh, taught first anyways that's uh, another new thing that I'm curious to see you made a comment you can look at the text and, with a human eye and see the difference. Yes, yes. But I, I cannot say I'm always right. I cannot say I'm always right. No, no, are, but yeah. as this is evolving, the, that ability is probably going to gap going to close real soon. And uh, yes. it learns more from people, like you said, giving more feedback. Yeah. You know, we, we know of, of web crawlers where they go looking for things. If you combined, can, does, does these generative tools have to learn from a human or could they just go crawl themselves and learn from any online documents at their own rate? Yes, yes. They can do both. Um, from a business standpoint, I don't think it's very nice for any company. Uh, but again, uh, it's just uh, speaking as, I mean, there's a huge generalization here, but I don't think there's any interest for any companies to uh, want to train their algorithms or feed their algorithms with garbage data. So uh, hypothetically, any kind of algorithm can be fed with information we got from the internet, but we all know the internet is uh, flooded with information that are not very well written and are not very well thought out. So from a business standpoint, I think most companies want to fit their algorithms with good quality data, but that actually generates a problem for uh, these companies in terms of uh, you know, trying to have an algorithm in the future that can um, produce some text that is very human-like. Now, let me explain this. Now, if you are, if you are a company that trains algorithms, just like say ChatGPT, and you want to you want to fit uh, ChatGPT with the best part of pos possible data, but you also know all these best possible data are defined. So how do we define best? Not only the content, but also the way this information is written, right? So essentially, you are definitely giving your algorithm, feeding your algorithm with the best written data, with in, with the best possible content. So. Unless you deliberately 
vary the level or the quality of the text. Otherwise, I think whoever you know、uh, interacts with your algorithm, they will get text generated by your algorithm that is so well written at a very consistent level. Now, human beings don't do that. I might write one very good sentence this morning, and this afternoon in the same passage, I would、uh, I would continue to write two or three good ones. But most of the most of the paragraph pro- probably would be,、um, you know, filled with mediocre sentences. I might end that paragraph with a lousy sentence. I do not have that level of consistency that AI has. So you see, one thing that I can that we can use to look at whether something is written by AI just in the future, right? Is as long as businesses still continue to fit their algorithm with the best possible data, and they still want to sell their product for the its possibility for its ability to generate good quality data, then we can always tell、uh, with some confidence. Certain whether certain piece of information is AI generated because that level of consistency is just beyond human human beings. We could have the best writers sitting with us right now, and you cannot ask that writers to generate some text with very high quality throughout unless you give that person a long time. And you have you hire some other people to do peer review, so you need time, you need extra eyes to achieve that level of consistency. But with AI,、uh, that level is guaranteed. But also the amount of text that it can generate within a short period of time is also unimaginable. So next time, <laughs> I guess when you see a large amount of text in front of you at a very high quality,、uh, but also with a tremendous Consistence. Now you ask yourself whether it is done by a group of experts、uh, over a long period of time, or it is AI generated. So it's just one of those things. Yes. Let me come back to a real simple thing, which has been the foundation for a lot of our creativity, because it's you know one of your three pillars. There is when you make an artwork, or you make a, you write a poem, or whatever. You do some little. If you put a prompt into ChatBT and said, "Write me a poem on," you know, you bring some topics, some keywords, and it writes it. Who owns that? Who who has the? Is it copyrightable? Because Chat ChatGPT wrote it. Do they own it?、Uh, uh, you know what I mean? Own it in the sense of who who who? who yeah, and same. If you take some, even your own artwork and scanned it and got it to merge it with something else. I'm not taking images off the internet, even if I gave it, or you know, whatever. Who owns this new hybrid byproduct? That is really a very, very important question, Harold.、Um, I know you have your personal t-、uh, take on that as well.、Um, I can't really uh, speak uh, about ChatGPT because there are a lot of. I think there are a lot of thought、uh, put into it from this company's perspective. So, any listeners interested in this? Topic、uh, would would only need to just read their latest fine prints, which I think you know by the time depending on when you listen to this episode,、uh, which I think might change. But in general, at the at the general level, 
Uh, it depends on company policy and company's willingness. For instance, uh, those uh, visual-based generative te- uh, AI technologies that we just talked about, um, a lot of those companies, they, they say, well, you, gener- you, you, you generate this visual using our website and feel free to use it for commercial purposes. We do not claim ownership to it. So basically, this company policy, they say, well, you can use it however you want. If you credit us, thank you. If you don't, it's okay. Some companies have that kind of approach. Other companies, they have a similar approach, but more nuanced. Uh, let me explain. So basically, it would depend on how much you pay those companies. Now, for free users, so you do not, uh, they do not say, well, you can use it. Well, they, 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 I don't think it would be very, uh, it would be, it would be very legal uh, for them to pro- prohibit, you know, to to prohibit any kind of uses. But then most companies they don't encourage you to uh, free users. Uh, 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 I mean, to uh, use their generated um, um, uh, visuals um, for commercial purposes. But if you pay more. Then they would say, well, now you can go ahead and use it again. So you see, it, the second scenario might sound a little bit different from the first one, but still, we're talking about the same thing. So basically, the company policy decides who owns the uh, copyright. But I guess your question is actually more profound than that. That is, does company really have, does company really have the right to decide? Because after all, it is not co- the company that generates the visual art. Or the tax, for that matter, uh, the the visual art or the tax generated uh, by any kind of website that whether we pay or not, or we do not pay, they are products of an algorithm trained by millions, if not hundreds of millions of inputs that are acquired largely in the free of charge manner. So to say the company would have a hundred percent decision-making power over the copyright, I think, is to say it is okay to just acquire all those hundreds of millions of visual and textual inputs that the company could get, uh, which may not have paid for, and then the company can make a profit out of it. So that's a second level of that complexity. There is very very hard to say. But if you ask me. I would think that it's we always want to have a better legal infrastructure built up, a better ethical infrastructure built up. But then I, also the public awareness of fair use is very important. As a university, I think we need to, that's one of the things we need to promote. In addition to um, uh, generative AI uh, skill set that we want to train our students with and also the discernful eye that we want our students to have, but I think also the general uh, fair use awareness that we should dis, uh, instill in, in, in our students. So. Wasn't it ironic? We circled all the way around and get back to the ethics where we started. Yes, so. yes. Well, I'm going to thank you very much for your chat today. This has been great to have you on Let's Talk AI and uh, wish you all the best in your research and uh, continued uh, generative AI ex- explorations. Thank you so much, Harold, for having me. And thank you for listeners uh, to listeners for your time. Yeah. Awesome. Take care. Take care.